ready to get and stay fit? Welcome to Fit Positive Confident with Dr. Gordon, where the focus is on your whole person health, physical, mental, and spiritual. Because your health can be affected by so many factors, Dr. G covers a range of topics in this program, from eating healthy to world-shaping events. So relax and enjoy the show. All right, folks, welcome to the show. Today, I have a special guest. Oh, not in the studio, but uh, some, I don't know, what what is it, 10,000 miles away or more? Uh, all the way in Australia. Halfway Aust- around the world. <laughs> the, the, the other side of the world, uh, Australia. And Martin Tai is with us today. Uh, Martin, you live somewhere between uh, Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah, I'm on the coast in a smallish um, regional community on um, about five hours south of Sydney in the state of New South Wales. How close is that to um, those uh, Blue Mountains, they call them? Um, well, the Blue Mountains are behind Sydney. So if you were to get in a car and drive there, you'd probably take you, I think, four or five hours from here, which in Australian terms is probably pretty close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful area. I I was there a couple of times in my lifetime, and I enjoyed Australia very much. Uh, one time I rented a car and just drove uh, from Melbourne to Sydney and Brisbane, and uh, but I never been to the other side, to Perth area. Um, I wonder if it's as nice as uh, Sydney and uh, Melbourne. Yeah, it's different. Um, Australia is very different. Um, some of my, Perth is very nice, West Australia, some of my favourite country. Well, I live on the coast, so obviously I love the beaches, but we also have, the majority of Australia is arid or semi-arid deserts and so on, and, and I just love to get out in the desert country as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting country, plenty to see. You, you know, um, you're absolutely right. It's a huge country from one end to the other, but um, much of it is not really... Um, made for agriculture. No, that's true. Um, we farm a lot of it, I think, because we feel like we've got to do something with it. Otherwise, I, I guess we took this land on the basis that the original inhabitants weren't in, weren't using it. So mm-hmm. now we feel compelled to use it. So we have huge cattle stations, cattle ranches, you'd probably call them, uh, of unimaginable size, bigger than some states or countries, I guess. Um, but they they they're spread out over huge desert landscapes and um, not very efficient. I think in many cases they have to be heavily subsidised, and some of the cropping areas we use are almost exclusively reliant on heavy uses of uh, fossil fuels, uh, fertilisers, and so on. So it is a difficult country. It's a big country with a very low carrying capacity. Um, something like eighty. 85% of our population lives on 10% of the land, and that's for very good reason. That's probably what most people don't understand about Australia. You would, uh, you know, just by looking at the map, you would assume this is a huge country. Overpopulation uh, shouldn't be a problem there. Well, the Sahara is a big area too. Um, you know, it doesn't mean you can put um, carrying capacities for countries like, say, through Europe or USA, where you've got deep soils, um, reliable rainfalls, all of our rivers combined would fit into the Mississippi and only take up a part of its flow. So we are really dry, really ancient, um, poor soils. Six um, percent of our land mass is classified as arable. That's 
reliable rainfall meets good soils, only 6%, and a lot of that is being built on now. So, yeah, it's a very, very different situation than um, maybe people are used to who come from Europe or, or more fertile lands. So what do you think is going to happen? What, what do you think is the limit to what Australia can can support in terms of population? Well, we've, like the rest of the world, far exceeded it. We've been driven forward by greedy corporate interests that uh, I would term ecological illiterates who have no understanding of the land. They're only looking at balance sheets. Um, they keep no uh, account of degrading resources, degrading biodiversity and ecosystems, uh, all of that. Um, so we are where we are through over-exploitation. Um, our, our population account is going up, but our support base, our environment, is our biodiversity, our resources are going down. And, and yet the people who are profiting from that process can see no other path but to continue, continue on it. You have an interesting theory about um, immigration, as I was looking at over your website, and um, you, the idea that you, that you are that you have presented is that these big corporations are in favor of these these huge, massive uh, people movements from one from the poor countries to the richer countries, in order to. Um, increase their profits in order for these people yeah. to become the consumers in this in in these new lands where they are moving to yeah well i can primarily only speak from an australian perspective but i get a sense that it's happening all around the world more people um, first of all it, it creates a labor capital imbalance so it shifts the power of uh for workers fighting for, for wages and conditions into the hands of capital because the more people you have chasing the jobs, the less power the workers have. So there's there's two components to it. One, it drives up demand in Australia. It's for housing, um, but also just for, for well, that links to, to um, borrowings, loans, debt and consumer consumption. So that's one side of the ledger that they look at. The other side of the ledger, and is, as is happening here, is it drives down wages, suppresses wages. So it's a win-win for corporate investors in, in what I call the population Ponzi economy because uh, they can drive down wages and they can drive up demand. Now, that's only going to work for a while because sooner or later, if you're not feeding money back in through workers' wages into the economy, that economy is going to crash. But they just can't resist the short-term profits to be made from that agenda. So we see it here in Australia. I believe it's happening in Canada not sure what the situation is there in the USA, definitely in New Zealand and other Great Britain, that's the sort of agenda that they're using human fodder basically to drive short-term profits. And all the while, this is ecologically destructive, of course, and that at the end of the day is the underpinner of our economy. Uh, which countries uh, are most of the immigrants coming from to, to Australia? Um, Australia, well, we're, we're obviously leaning pretty heavily on the most overpopulated countries in the world. That would be China and India. We also get quite a few from UK and other parts of the world. Essentially, it doesn't matter where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. um, to, the, to the corporate game, it's a, they're all consumers. Everybody needs a house. Everyone will want to buy a washing machine, a microwave, a television, a phone. Um, so it doesn't really matter where they're coming from. They're all just 
potential consumers. And, and the assumption, of course, as I keep saying, underlying this is that our land can keep supporting more and more and more. And um, that's not the case. So these um, corporate entities, you don't think that they could uh, make the same amounts of profit if they were to improve, for example, uh, some of the countries where these uh, m most of the poor people are coming from. For example, in Europe, you majority of the immigrants is coming from Africa, from many African countries, which are extremely poor. So you're saying that instead of investing into those countries in Africa, for example, it is easier for them to bring people to already developed countries in Europe and turn them into a into a high spenders in a in a in a much shorter time than they would be able to do, for example, in Morocco or one of those countries, Northern African countries, Syria, Libya, whatever. Am I understanding you right? Yeah, yeah I, I think that's pretty fair to say. They already have the structures in place in the developed world. So just shifting people there is the easier way. I mean, this whole agenda works off, I guess, a path of least resistance rather than any sort of moral compass. What you're saying would be... Um, I think a really good idea to reinvest to invest money into the poorer countries and help those people to develop but the goal at the end of the day isn't about helping people it's about making profits and when you have a structure in place um you know to get them to change why would they um so yeah I like your idea I think definitely to invest in the poorer countries and longer term that would probably benefit everybody but um, long-term thinking seems to be in short supply at the moment what kind of consumer are they creating anyways I mean these are the the you talk um, you talk about loans and you talk about government financing a lot of these um, people buying homes and I mean is this the way that uh, that money is made in Australia rather than getting people decent jobs? No. Short answer is yes. <laughs> um, look, it's just so lazy and so easy. Australia's economy is built on property speculation. Um, yeah, just, just easy money. It's just all too lazy just to grow markets and to grow the housing market via demand. So that's what we base ourselves on. Okay. Uh, let's take a quick little break and then come back and you can tell us a little bit about your website and so on. We'll be back right after these messages. All right, folks, we are back in the studio, and my guest today is Martin Tai. He's uh, coming to us all the way from Australia, and today we are talking about overpopulation and its effects not just on Australia, but also on all kinds of, on all of the other countries of the world. I mean, this is happening everywhere. Uh, immigration has become a huge issue in the United States. We have, um, you, you guys have um, uh, stores such as uh, Home Depot, for example, in Australia, do you? Similar things, yes. Okay, so in Denver, where I'm at, I can go to Home Depot parking lot. This is a store where you can buy all kinds of building materials. And in the parking lot, I can find today 
And I, I can go there right now, this minute, and I can probably find 40 to uh, 50 um, to 50 immigrants from, they just came across the border from Venezuela, for example, and uh, they are all looking for work. They are all looking for jobs. So this is not just uh, an Australian issue. This is happening all over the world. Europe had a huge influx of immigrants from uh, the poor African countries. What I'm fascinated with, uh, with what you're saying is that there is a reason for it, and the reason is all financial. You are basically saying that the big corporate interests are behind this immigration, at least into Australia. Um, that's what's driving Australia's immigration policy, but it's not necessarily. There are other factors in uh, source countries like outdated patriarchal societies, um, the disempowerment of women, ac lack of access to family planning, contraception, education. These are a different set of issues that come back to some of the uh, poorer countries that are being driven, that, that, are, that are driving the, pop the global population engine, if you like. So it's a different set of issues in Australia and, and perhaps elsewhere than in these source countries. And uh, so that, that that's a different set of um, solutions that we need to bring about to help in, in those sort of root countries. Uh, poor people always want to go to a better country. They're just a fact yes, of, of course life. they do. Yeah, of course they do. But the other option, of course, is to help. Put most I think most people want to stay connected to their place, their community, their land. They leave out of necessity because life is no good there and they go seeking another life somewhere else. Now, historically, colonial times, there was always somewhere else that was another paradise to be, to, to cut down the trees, to farm, to prove. We've now reached earth full. So they go somewhere else and we get it here. We get migrants coming here seeking a better life. They don't necessarily get it. They end up on the streets because the solution isn't always about going somewhere else. And to me, a key solution here is to, for the developed world to put a lot more effort into making life better in these source countries because we can't operate in gated communities. We are a global community. And if we don't share our knowledge, our wealth, our expertise with these countries, of course, they're going to go looking for other opportunities. And at the end of the day, they're going to actually destroy the places that could have offered those offered those opportunities through sheer weight of numbers. So big effort needs to be put into things like education, um, offering family planning, uh, the em empowering women, uh, promoting non-growth steady state type economies so that everyone's not thinking we've got to expand or we're going to fail. Um, there's a lot of work to be done in other countries as well, a, a global view of this issue. Another another issue here is uh, environmental uh, disaster. I mean, we are facing all kinds of environmental problems all over the world. What are What do you see going on in Australia at this time? I mean, I see a lot of your tweets about environment and um, the trees and the forests and uh, all of that stuff. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Australia has a horrendous ecological record. I think we have the highest rate of species extinctions of any country. 
Um, again, it comes back to a failure to recognise the nature of our land. Um, I believe the Indigenous population here maintained numbers originally somewhere around 1 million and managed the land successfully for 60,000 years. Um, admittedly, they weren't as great a consumers as us, so perhaps we need actually need lesser numbers, but then we do have technology which may be able to offset some of that. So um, I think that's the issue with Australia is that we don't understand the nature of the land. We're a very dry continent. We, we've we suffered from a horrendous bushfires. We now have the impacts of climate change driving floods, fires, all these um, ecological problems. And that, of course, is going to reduce our carrying capacity. But the problem we have is the economic system tied to GDP only measures the money flows within the economy. So if you have a bushfire and it costs you a fortune in rebuilding houses, non-productive spending, that can get added into GDP and create the illusion of a growing economy. So I always try to bring, because I also work for an organisation in America called the Centre for the Advancement of the Steady State Economy, um, CASI for short. People can look up their website. Mm -hmm. But um, essentially that's the notion of, of, a, of a steady scale economy established safely within ecological limits. Within that, all sorts of dynamic outcomes can, can flow, but um, it's, I guess, the alternative paradigm to one that seeks endless expansion. And that's being applied nationally and globally. And in Australia, it's just creating more uh, ecological and social and economic problems than it's solving. What are the principles that need to be uh, adopted to change the trajectory of all of this? I think the single biggest thing we need to do is adopt new a new set of performance indicators. So instead of using GDP and saying, assuming that because the economy is getting bigger, therefore everything is getting better, which isn't working, because particularly because a lot of that wealth is being captured by a narrow set of interests. But at the end of the day, the environment and resources cannot support that perpetual expansion. So I think a new direct set of performance indicators, and I think under broad headings, they can include economic, social and environmental and all be given, I guess, similar weight. Then subheadings under that might include, say, under environmental, you might look at ecosystem restoration, biodiversity, whether they're declining or, or improving. And it, it's a little more complex, but in today's world with uh, computers and everything, it shouldn't be too hard to put together a model that can weave these various uh, indicators together to to, put, to give you a better, clearer picture of where you're at and where you're going. Where does your government stand on all of, on these ideas? You're smiling, uh, you're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. Um, no, they're firmly locked into the status quo. Um, uh, and, and it seems the worse things get, the more they circle the wagons and lock themselves in to the pre-existing mindset. So, um, yeah... I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how to answer that. They're not, ju they're not jumping on your wagon? Oh, no. They're jumping off. <laughs> they're jumping off. Well, at least we know that uh, all of these governments uh, all around the world are pretty similar. Uh, it seems that they are beholden to the corporate interest, no matter where we, what country we are talking about. Anyway, so. let's take a quick little break and uh, be back after these messages.
right, uh, Martin Tai is in the studio by uh, means of Zoom, all the way from Australia. Martin, tell us, uh, do you want to uh, share any of the websites uh, with uh, the audience? There is a site that I'm looking at, uh, medium.com. Is that your site? I do have a writing blog um, when I get spare time on Medium. Um, I do use that. I haven't done much lately, but when I need to let off steam, I actually use it because um, I, I use Twitter a lot. Uh, so I've got social, I've got 12,500 odd followers there. So where I need to expand, I originally set it up so that if I made a brief point on Twitter that I needed to expand, I could link to my Medium account for anyone who wanted further explanation because obviously, you know, Twitter's fairly limited. Um, so I set that up. Um, the other, I guess my main websites, uh, the, the one I've already mentioned, the Steady State Economy. Um, the other one here, because I do the social media for uh, Sustainable Population Australia, and we have a position statement on population calling for stabilisation of the population safely within ecological limits. Um, I'd appreciate any of your listeners going to that and having a look and perhaps signing and sharing because anyone can, even from overseas, can sign and share that. So that's population.org.au. That's uh, and, and that's primarily around the population issue. The other one is around the economics and the two are very closely linked. Um, if people are really interested in the population issue as well and want to cut through all the scaremongering and misinformation that's out there. Another very good site is called Population Matters. They're a UK-based um, population awareness advocacy, and they do a lot of good work and produce a lot of material that's very helpful. So in terms of websites, that would be the main ones. And, and as I said, with that position statement, we're really looking for lots of signatures so that we can start to turn uh, bend, bend the trajectories back towards more sustainable levels. Okay, and uh, Martin, your last name is T-Y-E. For those of you who want to look you up on Twitter, Martin Tai, T-Y-E. Am I pronouncing that right, Tai, Martin Tai? That's the one, yeah. Okay, so then by going to, to Twitter, they can also find these other uh, websites that you have just mentioned, right? Yeah, they can. I, I often link to them in my tweets. They can also go to um, uh, Sustainable Population Australia Twitter account because I also do those. Um, so if people are interested in the topic, um, they're more than welcome to jump on to those two forums and have a listen, comment, ask questions, um, whatever they see fit. This topic of population... Uh... Too much population on the planet is very touchy. Have you been accused by anybody of, I don't know, what's the worst thing you have been accused of? Oh, look, it's it obviously it's a sensitive issue and people take it in all the wrong ways. To go back a bit, I grew up in the 60s and I was actually in America for three years in the 60s and I think that's where I first gained an understanding. My father was in the Air Force and he got sent over there during the Vietnam War. Um, so I, was, I gained an understanding there of the population issue. It was actually something that everyone spoke about back then. Since that time, a number of things have happened. One is, well, the Green Revolution, which should have just bought us time, actually managed to feed more people. So 
that made people think, well, it's not an issue after all, because to me it's silly because people don't only need food. But anyway, it seemed to satisfy a lot of people. Then a lot of in misinformation and misunderstandings and muddying of the waters occurred. And have I been called things? Yes, I've been called a lot of very nasty things. I've been called a racist. I've been called a xenophobe. Um, I more almost on a daily basis when I talk over population, get someone telling me I should go out and commit suicide and be the first person to, to do something about the issue. Some really nasty stuff. And um, it, it all stems from, I think, fear, misinformation, whether it's been deliberately stirred up or, or where it comes from, I don't know. But um, my job is to try to stay calm and rational through all this and present the economic, the ecological and the social benefits of smaller, stable populations. Um, and and I guess I'm pretty tough. So I, I've heard it all and it's kind of like water off a duck's back a little bit now. But I can't pretend it doesn't hurt when someone insults you. As you know, words can cut deeper than swords so um it, it's not nice but it sort of comes with the territory in uh, in the united states uh, the the country is basically divided between um, conservatives and liberals and if you are listening to the for example to the conservative media you will hear a lot of uh, talking heads you know who will talk about um, um the deep state and the powers at the top of the of the pyramid, you know, wanting to bring the population of the world down to 500 million. And uh, it's always about genocide, and they want to kill us all, and they want to have the whole planet to themselves. I always had an issue with it, um, the way that that's presented, because I'm always thinking that, um, well, for example, Bill Gates, they say Bill Gates wants to kill a lot of people through vaccinations. And I'm thinking, why would this guy want to eliminate his consumer base? I mean, everybody's buying his products, you know. I mean, what am I, am I thinking wrong or what do you think? No, no it's exactly the same thoughts I have. I sometimes hear that, that uh, depopulation is a global elite agenda. But exactly as you say, the bigger the market, the more profits it's certainly not a global elite agenda. Elon Musk is, for example, is out there having, I think he's had 10 or 11 kids because he thinks the world's being irresponsible in not breeding enough. And his plan is obviously to colonize Mars at some point. So he needs more people for that. But no, I don't understand where that's come from because the global elites are the very ones driving population growth for the, for the twin reasons I mentioned earlier that it creates bigger markets for their products and it creates a, a, a cheap labor force so that they can get things made as cheaply as possible anywhere in the world. So, um, yeah, it's bizarre, that one. I've heard it, and I don't understand where it comes from. Do you see any uh, bad actors out there who would like to um, reduce the, the Earth's population for the wrong reasons? Yeah, and this is, I'm glad you asked that question because one of the things that concerns me, and I am seeing the trends here in Australia now, is when you ignore this issue and middle Australia or middle world refuses to discuss it or shuts it down, you population growth creates all sorts of pressures, social, economic pressures for jobs, pressures for scarce resources. When you shut down that discussion, you leave the ground very fertile ground for extremist views. And those extremist views often 
they are the ones that can become racist or or religious or whatever grounds for dividing people and competing and destroying each other. Um, so where I see the danger of of a, of a bad depopulation agenda is through the extremism that arises when population pressures are ignored and creates the opportunity for certain groups of people to push their agenda and start blaming other groups of people for the problem. And that is a really dangerous situation that can drive local, national, global conflict. And that's one of the things that I would like to see avoided. So basically, the way you see it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, is not that the diversity is the problem, but just the sheer overpopulation all over the planet. I mean, we're, we're looking at what, 8 billion at this point? Yeah, it's over 8 billion now. The UN is saying another couple of billion by the end of the century, but UN projections have been consistently on the low side. So even if we say 3 to 4 billion, that's more than the population of the entire earth when I was born. So anyone who thinks that's not not a problem must be crazy. Um, so, yeah, it, it's definitely an issue that needs to be talked about and it's being suppressed. And um, I'm glad you're here talking to me about it, giving me the opportunity. Well, I want to understand this uh, a little bit better. You know, I'm thinking, for example, about the, uh, the oceans. I mean, how long before before we destroy any any life in the oceans. I mean, we are, uh, the fishing, when I look at the fishing that's uh, that's being done out there, it's incredible. Yeah, look, the oceans are already a pale shadow of their former selves, even 50 or 60 years ago. I actually did a tweet this, I think this morning or yesterday, that I, I can recall when I was in high school being taught back in the early 70s, that the oceans were a limitless, untapped source of food that we haven't even started to work on yet. Well, here we are 50 or 60 years later and another three or four billion people and the oceans are in a very poor state. Um, Australian oceans as well? Yep, yep, very poor state. Okay. Well, let's uh, take a quick little break and come back and, uh, and wrap up. All right, I'm in the studio for my final segment with Martin Tai, who is uh, joining us from Australia. We are talking a little bit about overpopulation and its effects. Not just, uh, you know, obviously you are concerned about Australia because you live there, but this is a global problem. Yeah, look, it, as I said before, it can't be looked at in isolation. There's, there's the, it can be tackled on multiple levels, but. Um, Someone I once worked for said something which I, I support that, um, in a way, the idea that Australia or any other country can absorb the world's overflow perversely facilitates overpopulation because there's always that sense that there's somewhere else to go. And that takes people away from the idea that they have to manage their own lives and their own land responsibly, ethically and for the long term. Um, so this idea that there's always somewhere else to go that's just hanging out for for more people to farm the land or to um, push the ploughs or whatever they're, they're thinking, 
you know, make make the mass-produced goods. Um, this idea that that those places are still there on this earth, it, it has to go. It's there are, the whole earth, every country is in uh, ecological overshoot, and every country now has to assume responsibility for its own actions. How much blame should go to these uh, global corporations, American and, and European and Western powers, you know, that that go into these um, undeveloped countries and basically take them over, uh, install a, a puppet government and, and control the production and the food and the sale of uh, natural goods that that country produces. And basically we create... Um, a, a poverty. I talked to a, to a friend of mine who came from Ecuador to United States, and he told me about all of these huge plantations in Ecuador where they grow these beautiful bananas for uh, American consumption. And he told me, you know, I, I lived there for 30 years. I never had one of those bananas because we couldn't afford it. Yeah, that's that's terrible. And, you know, I don't want to pin this on any one nation. Uh, there's There's you know, China is doing the same thing. All the powerful economic forces in the world are exploiting countries such as the example you just gave to fuel their, I guess, their profit-making concentrations. Um, so, yes, they've got a big responsibility. It's not the only thing. Um, as I say, there's a lot of cultural-type issues in a lot of – and religious issues – in various countries, but between all those those factors, um, at the end of the day, it's creating a mess. And it's just so sad to hear that your friend couldn't even have a banana from his own plantation. And it's look, we even have a little story like that here in Australia. We grow cherries, and we Australians don't get the good cherries. They are being bought up by China, so we get the B grade cherries. So it's, you know, this is the path we're on. It won't be long till we don't get cherries at all because someone somewhere else in the world will pay more for our cherries. So, um, you know, it it's an issue and it's it's something, it's very complex and it, there's a lot of issues tied up in it. But because it's complex, doesn't mean it's not a problem and that we should avoid it. We, we need to tackle it. Is it true that prosperity is solution to this problem? Um, it's been shown that when people are educated and have a good, secure standard of living, um, they do tend to have fewer children. The problem we have, and this is another misconception, is that we can give that prosperity first to the maybe five, four, five, six billion people who are poor, who deserve more, and then, then they will stop having larger families. What has to happen, and our one of our most important researchers, Dr Jane O'Sullivan, here in Australia, published a piece on this. If we stabilise populations first, we give people in those poor countries the opportunity to develop and to improve their lives. But the idea that you can keep growing and, and in such massively unsustainable numbers, we can suddenly, the earth has the resources to suddenly provide billions and billions of people with a, a home, a good job, a a car, whatever it is they need, a microwave. I don't know what qualifies for a decent standard of living, but there are certain basics. Um, so the idea that that happens before we population will stabilise is the, is the wrong way around. What we need to do is stabilise first and encourage those people through ethical means, through education, delivery of family planning and health services, 
um, ending the social stigmas around child-free or small, smaller families. Um, get that happening first, and that will facilitate the development improvement in the lives of the poorer people of the world. I, I was recently in your neighborhood there in uh, Papua New, New Guinea, and we went uh, we went with my church to uh, this little island where we worked with uh, the local community to just uh, help improve their lives. And there is no electricity there. There is no internet. There is no phone. There is no, obviously, nothing electrical. You know, and the island is just packed with children, beautiful, beautiful kids, you know. And uh, I'm thinking, those people have not, have no recreation, have nothing, have they, they can't watch soccer games at night, you know. They can't watch sports. They, I mean, the only thing that they have is kids, you know. Um, they, they, they're just the structure of, the, of that society, you know. There is not to do at night, but have sex and have more kids. Mm. I mean, to say it yeah. bluntly, to say it bluntly, you know. Yeah, no, that that's exactly right. And that's where education and, and where the developed world could really make a contribution. Like even, as you say, the access, maybe access to the internet so that they can learn messages and learn um, just the basics they need to get a job. When, when like two people have six kids and then those six kids have six kids and within, a, within say, one, one lifetime, we've got that sort of exponential growth. What hope for those kids? When they're kids, they can run around and play in the dirt and, and it all looks very idyllic to maybe some Westerner that doesn't live that lifestyle. But when they grow up, they finish up in the slums of Port Moresby looking for work. They end up in crime, gangs, drugs, all of those sorts of things. So, you know, it's, it's simple basics um, will make a difference to those people. It won't cost that much. We can We can do it. Martin, our time is coming to an end. We're just crashing the surface. Uh, maybe you can come back again one of these days and we can do part two. Yeah, well, I'd be happy to, and I, and I really appreciate you having me on to talk about this. All right, thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Talk to you next week. Okay. Thank you. Be sure to tune in next time for another unique perspective on your whole person health with your host, Dr. G. And don't forget to share the goodness with friends and family and visit our website at fitpositiveconfident.tv and follow Dr. G on Twitter at Dr. G Fitness. God bless and stay healthy.